0: If you talked with me today, and I, and I seem a little bit out of sorts, uh, just forgive me because um, I don't usually admit to any, any kind of ailments that are bothering me, but today, for some reason, I have a raging headache that has to do with a muscle. I woke up with a cramp in my neck, and uh, the headache has just come on hard and strong. Anybody ever have days like that? And uh, doesn't that stink? Oh, don't we wish we were not to be human any longer? Just think, one day we'll have glorified bodies, be no more pain. I just keep reminding myself of that right now. I just keep saying, you know, I get to a certain place, it, it's not going to be an issue. Praise God. I look forward to that day. Well, <clears throat> it looks like we all survived Thanksgiving. Is anyone still hungry? <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, our, our family, we, we had one evening with our in-laws and, and, and all the family eating steaks. And then the next day, Thanksgiving, we, we had, instead of the traditional turkey, we had Cornish hens. They were delicious little birds and uh, some ham. And I'm pretty sure that what I did to those steaks, those Cornish hens, and that ham was a sin. I'm fairly certain. Uh, I spent the last few days repenting. Uh, Now, we're going into Christmas. How many of you already have your decorations up? A couple? A couple? Yeah. Slow admitters. Some slow admitters in here. Um, In our family, uh, every year at Christmas, we decorate around Thanksgiving or after. And then, uh, you know, we... We like the holidays around our house so we we celebrate with different things that are going on and leading up to that ultimate day right of Christmas Christmas morning and the time that in our family we exchange Christmas gifts Uh, we don't go overboard we keep it within budget but we do exchange gifts and and we enjoy that a lot of families do that Uh, it's always interesting to me, with different family events going on, to observe people. Uh, I like to observe people. Um, My wife and I, if we go out shopping somewhere, I'll tell you where you can find me. You'll find me in a seat just watching people mill about because I like to watch people. I'm a people watcher, uh, not in an odd, creepy way, just observing what people do. (laughs) So... (laughs) Well, one of, the, uh, one of the things I've observed uh, in opening gifts, some people, including myself, like to find the taped points on the package and start unwrapping from there, almost meticulously removing the wrapping. If it has a bow on it, I'll tell you what I do. The first thing I do is untie the bow, or if I can't untie it, I'll just slide it off the edge of the package ever so gently and get it off. Anyone else unwrap a gift like that? You're a little bit meticulous picking apart. You're not just gonna tear it, not gonna create a mess. You're just gonna take it and fold it up, right? Yeah. I was, I've observed others who go all in. They tear into the package as if that package hurt them. We got anybody like that? You attack it. Yeah. You know, the most interesting people to watch to me are always the children, especially young children. I'm thinking ages three to like seven, eight, maybe even nine years old. They'll tear into a package, pull out the contents, what's inside. They'll scream about it, and they almost toss it over their shoulder and grab the next one. Anybody ever noticed that? When they get to that last one. I always want to see what's going to happen next. They tear into it. And if you're in our family, when we do this, we we go ahead and pass out all the gifts. We're not pulling them out one at a time. We're, we're putting them in piles and, and getting, you know, like separating M&Ms by color. They got names on them. We're going to get them to the people with their names on it. They get to that last gift. They may even know that this is the last one, but they tear it open, pull it up, scream about whatever it is, and most likely it's the gift that everybody's expecting. They'll be the most excited about because you don't want to give that to them first. You hold it till last. They toss it eventually over to the side. Where's the next one? What's next? Are there any more? You think about children, children are a reflection of adults in so many ways. We adults, we may show a little more restraint. Hopefully you show some restraint. You're opening gifts, you're not just throwing your socks and underwear to the side and trying to get to the next thing. But there's in all of us, and we see it in children, a desire to get more or add to what we already have. We have a problem. The problem is this, the pursuit of more. We all want to have a good life. How many of us want to have a good life? The problem is we have been sold this idea that we will be happy or happier if we have more, especially in our capitalist, materialistic culture, society But here's the thing, I could spend a while, you know, bashing the culture, but it's not an American thing. It's a worldwide, it's a humanity thing. So the question becomes, what makes for us having a good life? If it's not found in things, and it's not found in the next possession, and it's not found and all of the things the world offers to us, what makes for us having a good life, what really makes us satisfied, where can we find happiness? That's really what we're talking about. We're talking about happiness and joy. So I'm to preach to you today under this thought more, problems with our pursuit. Problems with our pursuit our pursuits. Years ago, I read an article about building wealth for retirement, and the focus of the article was about the question that everyone has, how much wealth do you need to have a good retirement, a happy retirement, a retirement that satisfies? Is there a point in wealth building that people say, okay, that's enough, now I can retire, and I'm certain I'm going to be living the good life a researcher interviewed people in in all strata of our economy wealthy we're talking about really really wealthy people we're talking about people who we would say are not wealthy struggling maybe living paycheck to paycheck one of the questions asked was how much more do you feel like you need for your life to be where you would be content the board, the response on average was it came out to be about 20 to 25 percent more. 20 to 25 percent more. 20 to 25 percent more income or 20 to 25 percent more wealth than they'd already acquired. 20 to 25 percent more. And it was no matter what person or what they had. It was always you know about 20-25% more when they did the math. So no matter what the person had, they felt that they would be happier or satisfied if they could just gain that 20% more. It's a lie that has been given to us from the beginning of time that something more is going to satisfy us. The Bible, as a matter of fact, starts out with a story about this very thing, Adam and Eve in paradise. They have access to everything. They have everything that they want, they need. They should have been satisfied. But there was one thing they were not allowed to have. And so when... The woman, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, even though she had food already, she saw it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. They're in paradise. They have everything. They should desire nothing more. But because of the pursuit of what they did not have it ends up costing them everything they do have we pursue things with the thought that it's going to make our life better it'll end with happiness it will end with contentment for life that will end up being satisfied but in the end we end up losing we end up suffering we end up with shame we end up with the bondage of sin. We end up being alienated from the ones we love and alienated from God. It's paradise lost again. And we fall into this trap over and over and over of thinking that what we have now is not enough. That we need more. That there's some other thing in life that we're missing out on that we need to have. The writer of Ecclesiastes dealt with this in Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 11. He says this, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees In them I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Got it going on. He's got all the houses. He's got all the orchards. He's got all the fields. He's got pools of water. Imagine he had a swimming pool too. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity, grasping for the wind. There was no profit Under the sun. Now we would look at that and say, that's doing pretty good. Should be happy. Should be satisfied. He's got more than enough. He says, whenever I I got everything that I desired, whenever I experienced every pleasure that I wanted to experience, it was all vanity. I was not happy. I was not satisfied. It was like grasping at the wind. I would grab it, And it would just slip away. Romans and Greeks were hedonist group. They were into hedonism. And and what that means, what hedonism is, what hedonic means, it it means that they pursued pleasure, and in the pursuit of pleasure, it would bring joy. And that was the culture that Jesus was born into. It was a hedonic culture, one that sought joy in this life but ultimately what they found was that it doesn't bring joy it brings shame researchers call the pursuit made by the writer of ecclesiastes hedonic adaptation and you know what that is you may never have heard that word you may not be familiar with it but hedonic adaptation is when a person gets something and very quickly the luster, in a sense, starts to wear off. The thing that you were so excited about getting that you wanted, it quickly begins to not be that appealing. Now, I'll tell you how this works for me. Earlier this year, I I bought a truck. I was kind of pushed into a position of needing to buy a vehicle, and I I told Shelly, I said, well, if I'm getting a vehicle, and I'm forced to because the one we had was breaking down, um, and it had a, needed a lot of repairs, enough repairs to justify getting another truck. I'm going to get a truck I really, really want. I'd never really done that before. And so I searched the search, ended up with the truck that I have, and I like it. It's enjoyable. It's a vehicle. It gets me around. Wishing I didn't have a truck now that gas prices are ridiculous might find me rolling up in a Prius pretty soon. But I picked out the truck that I wanted. And you know, it wasn't, but maybe for the first little bit, I I wanted every excuse to drive that truck. We would go somewhere as a family, and I'd say, let's take my truck. Let's take the truck. I would drive it. But then it was maybe three weeks after. You know, I wish I'd have held out and found one with leather seats. You know, I wish, I wish. If I were doing it again, I would do it like this. And then eventually got to the place where I drove my wife's vehicle again. I'm like, you know, this this is tiny. It's not as big as my truck. We should upgrade your vehicle. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You Get something, and you're hardly even enjoyed it, and you're thinking about the next thing. Maybe it's you bought a house or built a house, and, and you know, if I did it differently, I would do it this way. If I was buying again, I'd look for this. Maybe it's you buy some clothing, and you, You get it home, and it's like, you know, it doesn't fit as good as I felt like it fit in the store. And I wish I had. I wish I had. Research has shown that when we get some material good, even before we get it home, the appeal and the luster has worn off, and we start looking for the next thing. Why? Because things do not bring us happiness or joy. They don't satisfy us. In 1950, the average size home was 980 square feet, and there were three people living there. In 2009, the average home size had grown to 2,700 square feet, and there were two and a half people living there. I wouldn't like to meet these half people, but two and a half people living there. What does that mean? It means the size of a home doubled while the family shrank by almost 17%. In 2007, 2015, research on the average American family found that, one, the majority, carried $15,675 in average in credit card debt. They had $28,000 in car loans. They had $48,600 in a student loan debt. The mortgage was $172,043, or what was left on a mortgage. And their yearly income average was 75600 That's the average American family. Another way that we can put that is that everyone has been sold this idea that if I use money that I don't have yet, I can buy happiness. It's a lie. SunTrust Bank did a study and found out that the number one stressor in marriages had to do with money. We try to buy our way into happiness and joy. We end up with stress and debt and more stress, financial strain, strained marriages, broken relationships, struggles. Jesus in the parable of the sower said that the seed sown among the thorns is one who hears but the cares. That word there means distractions, distractions. Of our world and deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. He said, The desires, desires means the lust, the lust for other things enter in and kill it. If your relationship with God is not progressing the way you want it to progress, Maybe it's the cares of this world. Maybe it's the deceitfulness of riches, the things you're pursuing. Maybe it's desires for things that are not godly, that are taking and limiting your relationship with God. And We can see this starting with Adam and Eve going all the way throughout Scripture, example after example of pursuing the wrong thing, David and Bathsheba. David had wives and concubines, but he desired what he did not have, Bathsheba. Amnon and Tamar, he loved her, but he desired to have her so much that he raped her. And scripture says that once he raped her, 2 Samuel 13, 15, that Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he he hated her was greater than Than the love with which he had loved her. Think about that for a moment. He loved her so much that he betrayed character and morals and everything else to possess her. Once he had her, he hated her more than he ever loved her. Judas, he thought he wanted those 30 pieces of silver, but he threw it away and hung himself, because when he got a hold of it, it was not fulfilling. Gehazi is another example. Most of us would be familiar with the story of Naaman. Naaman is a leper. He comes to Elisha looking to have his leprosy possibly healed. And in that process of healing, Naaman offers gifts to Elisha, which Eliphah refuses. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, saw them and he desired them. And you know what he did? He went around after everything was done. Naaman was on the road traveling back home. Gehazi went and got to Naaman and said, give it to me. And he took those riches And he went back home he hid it. Now Elisha knew what he did. Verse 25 of 2 Kings chapter 5 says, Now when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Notice this next question. Is it time to receive money? Receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you, your descendants forever. And he went out, leprous as white as snow. Think about that. that was a lot of money. Money enough to buy clothing, money enough to buy olive groves and vineyards, sheep, oxen, get some servants. He was going to have money left over he was going to be a wealthy man but was it worth it when he finally got the thing he wanted he's judged with leprosy we spend a lot of time on talking about the obvious sins sins of desire sinful pleasures pornography adultery fornication which is just a blanket statement for sexual sin the love of money but let's be honest, there are some things that are not sinful that we pursue, and it takes energy and time, and when we get them, they don't satisfy, and we're looking to the next thing. You know what it is? It's a distraction of the world, and it's put there to keep you from getting the things that are really valuable in this world. So what are we to do? Jesus said it like this, Luke twelve fifteen. Take heed, beware of covetousness. That word there is greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It doesn't matter what you own in this life. That does not define you. It does not make you who you are. It betrays who you are. You may feel one way about the possessions you have and the things you own, when the whole time God is not deceived. He knows exactly who you are, and you are not deceived because at the end of the day, at the end of the night, you know where your problems are. You know what your struggles are. All of the rest of it is just polished on the outside. Paul said it like this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 5 through 10. He said, there are those people who suppose that godliness is is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. And there's this culture in our America and in the world of gaining through godliness. God did not promise you that you would have health and wealth your entire life. God can bless you. God will bless you. But our ideas of blessings are not the same as what's in Scripture. He goes on and says, now godliness with contentment, that's great gain. Godliness with contentment. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Food and clothing. He doesn't even mention a house. Food and clothing you're eating be content if your nakedness is covered be content if it's not covered do something about it spare the rest of us he says with these we shall be content but those who desire to be rich watch this fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's his point? Godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is holiness. He says holiness. We'll be content, satisfied, filled That's the gain. It's holiness and godliness. It's the things of righteousness. It's the kingdom of God. The reality for us is this, that we will never, our flesh will never be satisfied. It won't be. That's why Thanksgiving Day you sat down and almost impaled yourself on a turkey leg and a couple hours later, you went back to see if there were leftovers. Maybe the next day you went back to see if there were le- Why? Never satisfied. So what is the answer? I'll tell you what the answer is. It's the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The kingdom of God and his righteousness That is what we should make a priority for us to seek in this life. It's not in education. It's not in money. It's not in all the things that we can gain in this world. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you should live in poverty, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be intelligent and educated. I'm not saying any of those things, but I am saying at a certain point, come to the same conclusion that the person who wrote Ecclesiastes came through came to that all of these things were just vanity it's not going to make you any happier right. the next thing is the things of the spirit galatians 5 i believe galatians 5 and 6 give us some answers for the wrong pursuits is this galatians 5 16 i say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh things of the spirit satisfy things of the spirit will change your life things of the spirit will put you in a position where you have peace and happiness and you walk in that and people look even in dark days how do they have peace how do they have joy because of the things of the spirit galatians five twenty two through 25 give us the fruit of the spirit verse 25 wraps up and says if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit Verse 23 says there's no such law against gaining these things. Those are the things we're supposed to be pursuing, things of the Spirit. So the first thing is the kingdom of God, pursuing the kingdom of God. The second thing that I believe helps us to overcome this desire for more and a lack of contentment and greed and flesh that just wants to consume everything is the second thing that will make us happy and satisfied. Did you know that the UN, every year, they do what's called a happiness index? Anybody ever heard of that? Our counselors in here have heard of it, they know. Every year the happiness index comes out and it basically goes country to country, determines what are making people happy. What are are the things causing people to be happy? You know what appears in the top three consistently since they began doing it? Relationships. Relationships are constantly in the top three. And I'll tell you the relationships you need in your life. First, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the second thing you need is you need a relationship with God's people. Relationship with God's people. Galatians six and two tells us bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's something special about having a relationship with the people of God. And I'm going to tell you, we've created this thing in our culture where we just attend church on Sunday, but throughout the week we have little to no interaction with the people of God. I'm going to tell you the answer for it. You need to get in a life group. We just ended life groups. We had a wonderful time going out fellowshipping at Andretti Race We drove some fast cars. We shot some lasers at each other, not in each other's eyes. And we played some games. And it was wonderful. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. No, but I'll tell you what is spiritual. It's the relationships we had in those life groups. It's bearing one another's burdens. It's being able to sit there and work through the word of God together. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out on a vital part of the kingdom of God. The other thing that researchers have determined is the thing that produces happiness in our life are our experiences, experiences. A few years ago, my wife and I, we decided, you know what, we're, we have everything that we want. How many of us in here, when you're, somebody says, what, do you, what would you like for Christmas? You don't really know what to tell them. Majority of us, Right my short answer is always cash. (laughs) But I have some family members, mom, that don't want to give you cash. They want you to have a gift and open that gift. And I appreciate that. I'm, I'm not demeaning that. I appreciate anything I receive as a gift. But I'll be honest, there's little to anything that I really need in my life. Occasionally I see something like, yeah, that'd be nice to have. But it's not like I need it. So we went through this thing where we decided, you know what, our kids have enough toys. They get a ton of toys from grandparents, and that's the grandparents' joy to be able to do that. We're going to let them do that. But you know what we're going to give our kids? We want to give our kids experiences. Because you know what? I don't remember a single gift that I got when I was eight years old. Not a single one. From my birthday, from Christmas. I don't remember a single one. But I do tell you what I do remember. I remember the vacation we went on. I remember the places we went to as a family. I remember the experiences. And experiences create these moments of happiness and joy and there are experiences that you can give one another there are experiences you can have in the kingdom of God and there are experiences that you can have with God that you'll have forever and those experiences are far greater than anything this world could ever offer there is something special about receiving the baptism of Of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues I remember that day right now as much as the day after it happened because it was an experience I remember times of prayer with God where it was just me and God closed up I had one this morning in prayer before getting ready for this service, closed up with God, time in worship. I can remember things God spoke to me where I was pleading with him for answers and I feel as though I heard the voice of God speak into that situation and I'll never forget it because of experience. Experiencing God's presence and experiencing the love of someone in the kingdom of God. Those experiences can never go away. See, true happiness, joy, peace, all of these things that we desire and we want, we want the good life, it's not found in gaining more. It's not found in dying the next thing. It's not found in upgrading your house, your vehicle, anything else. It is found in God. And it's found in the God who created this world and will take us out of this world. It's found in the people of God who surround us, and it's found in the experiences that we can have with God. And so remove yourself from this culture that wants to put on you that you need and you've got to have, and all of these things. It's not found in that. It's really found in the things of God. If you'll stand with me. we make our lives about the priorities that God has set what we get to the end of our life we find that we have built all kind of riches in our life I'm not talking about money although no one would ever say you can't have that you shouldn't have money or that money's a terrible thing to have money is just one of those things that gives us the opportunity to enrich our lives. And it's one of the things that God has given so that we can do His work. Because the value of money, it's its not in the thing you're going to buy. It's in what you can do for someone else. It's in how you use it to further the kingdom, to make an impact, to be generous, to do things satisfying another way. Jesus said it's our giving, being generous. Not in what you receive, what you give away. But our whole world culture has taken these things and turned it on its head. If I get more, if I have more, if I own more, if I store up more, if I hang on, more, then I'm going to be happy but it's deceit because whenever you finally get to that magic number well I'd be happier if I had 20% more 20% the person if they in that research that I cited if they ask a billionaire what do you need well I need a billion plus 20% more satisfies. The flesh wants more. But we can be satisfied if we turn off all of those lies, and those deceptions, and we start pursuing the things that really matter. Relationship with God. Relationship with God's people. Experiencing the kingdom of God. And I'm determined this Christmas, I am not going to allow the culture that is around us to infect my life and make me feel like that what I have to do is go out and spend half of next year's paycheck in things that are not going to satisfy they're not going to make us happy they're not going to fulfill as a matter of fact I'm going to take this time and I'm going to set for myself a priority that next year I'm going to go to greater depths with God I'm going to get closer to him than I've ever gotten before. I'm going to do more for the kingdom of God than I've ever done. I'm going to give more. I'm going to sacrifice more. I'm going to make 2023 all about getting closer. to God. 2022. Excuse me. I'm jumping a whole year ahead. Nobody said anything. He's just going to let me go. It's about the way it feels might be preaching this next year 2022 be like i just preached this like a couple months ago praise god i hope i hope and pray that i am communicating what's on my heart that god laid on me to you not in a negative way in a positive way listen god has great blessings for you but it's It's not found in wealth. It's not found in all the things the world offers. It's not in material things. It is in his kingdom and in his people.